Good. Well, each, uh, each week we spend part of our time together looking into uh, the Bible. Uh, we believe God speaks through the Bible, that it's his word to us. And, and uh, we're in uh, the middle of a, a kind of series walking through some of the uh, chapters of Luke's gospel. Luke, who wrote a biography about Jesus um, in, in the New Testament. And uh, we're in Luke chapter 16 today. And if you want to have a look at it and follow on, it's on page 1050 uh, of the Bibles that are nearby. And uh, yeah, it's an opportunity to, to just have that in front of you because uh, much of what I'm going to say is found in there and uh, hopefully it'll help you remember it if you, you look at it again, which I hope you will do. So we're, we're carrying on a, a journey with Jesus and his disciples. This section of Luke's gospel uh, really is taken up with, with Jesus' last journey for, towards Jerusalem, where he's going to be uh, dying on the cross and we'll be celebrating the significance of those events um, later on in the service in communion. And as he goes with the disciples, because, because being a disciple of Jesus, being a follower of Jesus, meant that you were, were learning with him. You were traveling on the road with him. Uh, and every day was kind of a, a non-stop learning experience, really. And as we see these guys uh, learning from Jesus, so we can uh, kind of look over their shoulders and see what we can learn uh, following him is all about in our lives. Now, last time, uh, a couple of weeks ago, you may remember uh, that we got to a point where where Jesus was asking his disciples, because he was speaking to them primarily at that point, to think very carefully about what mattered most to them, what was the most important thing in their lives. And he gives them a couple of options. He says, you know, you can either have God uh, as the one that you serve at the center of your life, or you can have money. And it's really quite a challenging statement. We'll read it in a moment. Remember, he told them this story earlier in, earlier in chapter 16 of, uh, of Luke's gospel about how someone had used money, uh, not just to have it for themselves, but, but to invest it into relationships and, and other things. I won't go all over that. It was an intriguing story. Uh, and in a way, it wasn't, you know, the guy was a hero of the story, was also quite an interesting character. But the main point Jesus is saying is that he used money in a wise way. And he used that money, and he, Jesus tells the disciples, look, what you have, use it for eternal significance. And then in verse 13, uh, we, we did read last time, I want to go back to it. Verse 13, Jesus sums it all up. No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, the Pharisees who loved money heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, you're the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of men or women, human beings. But God knows your hearts. What is highly valued among men is detestable in God's sight. That's a big statement, isn't it? Money is like a master. Jesus says you can serve it or you can serve God. He says that some of the things we end up serving demand our love. And it's hard to combine that love for money with other loves. And if money, he says, is where we set our hearts, then there's actually no room for God. Because if you look carefully, Jesus says it's about the heart. He has that reference to the Pharisees, we'll talk about them in a minute, but who loved money. 
Jesus says, God knows your heart. He knows kind of the, the deep bit of you, the, the most important part of you, the, 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 the place, if you like, that you, where you give your love to something. Now, the Pharisees didn't like that because they loved money. It says here in the NIV, they, they, he, they sneered at him. Now, in the original, I'm told, um, I got a lot of help from, by the way, let me acknowledge this, from a, a man who wrote a book. Um, his name is Kenneth Bailey. He wrote a book called um, uh, Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes. He lived in the Middle East. He knows a lot about Middle Eastern culture. He was a professor in Beirut University for a long time. So, so he's a great scholar. And he points out that this little phrase, sneered at him, means they, they, they lifted the nose. Okay, that, now that's a good, now we know, you know, it wasn't like they, they kind of went, ooh, or whoa, or that's rubbish, they, but it was kind of, you know, like you can't see it, you know, kind of a raise of the eyebrows, like, oh yeah, you know. And Jesus, Jesus picks up on that, and he starts uh, to talk to them, and he tells them, about God knowing the heart. He says, you can hide these things from others, but you can't hide them from God. And then he goes on in the next few verses, which I'm not going to look at, um, uh, to reassure them that Jesus, he says, I'm not giving up on the law and the prophets. You love the law and the prophets, Pharisees. What I'm saying about the Old Testament is, you know, I'm, I'm building on that. I'm not getting rid of it. And then he goes on and he tells them a story, another great story, which we're going to look at. The last story, the last two stories Jesus has told has involved rich people. You know, the prodigal son was about someone who had loads of money. And then the one about the manager was also about a, a manager who was responsible for loads of money. Now there's a story that's going to be about a rich man and something else. We'll come to that in a minute. But, but behind it all are some really big questions. You see, following Jesus, is it about now or is it about the life to come? That's why I've called this now or then. You know, do people, when they become Christians, when they start following Jesus, do they get a ticket to what we call heaven for some reason? You know, either because they've been born into the right family or because they were baptized as a baby or even as an adult. Or because they put their hands up in a meeting or because they've said a particular prayer at a certain point in their life. Is it that you know, that's what they do in it now and, and then that's it? Everything else is kind of, that's it, they've got their ticket to the future fix, that's the end of it. Is that what following Jesus is really about? Or is the life we live here going to affect the next life how does what we do now touch on the life to come is there a life to come now in our world where we are in in britain at the moment in the west um it's easy to think that there is no afterlife it's all about now beginning ending that's it but what if we're wrong Uh, at the very least we ought to just be aware that this idea that seems to be popular at the moment in our culture at this time is very much the minority view. doesn't mean it's wrong. It's the minority view throughout the whole of human history. The very first records we have of any human beings is that they're a bit, bit bothered about what's going to happen after they die. And if you go across every culture in the world, uh, they're all kind of aware of life after death. It's just us who kind of think, oh, no, there's no such thing. Uh, That doesn't prove anything, but it's just worth lobbing in there. And if everybody has and does generally believe in life after death, why is that? 
Where does that come from then? Well, think about that. Well, the Pharisees sniffed at Jesus because they loved money. And for the Pharisees, they thought, we're religious. We're Pharisees. They were the kind of religious people. We're doing absolutely everything we can to keep God's law. Well, money, what we do with our money, it doesn't matter. You know, we've got the ticket. Or we're buying the ticket to the afterlife. Everything's going to be fine, they said. They thought they were on the religious inside. And they're about to get quite a shock as Jesus tells them the story. Let's have a look at the story. I hope you're in suspense thinking, what's the story? Well, here it is. We'll start it. Verse 19. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. Let's start. That's the first part of the story. It's a story about two men. And it's very graphic. The first man we meet in the story is a rich man. And he is very rich indeed. And he's rich in a certain way. And it's in the kind of detail of the story here. He was dressed in purple. Now, purple uh, cloth was the most expensive you could buy because the purple dye came from a snail. So obviously, you need a lot of snails to get enough dye to you know, dye a piece of cloth. And so it was the, it was the Armani of the day it was, or, or more. And this man dressed in purple every day. He had the equivalent of, of, you know, of a dressing room full of Armani suits, if, if you like. Uh, and he wore them Every day. You know, some of us, we've got, you know, uh, you know, maybe one good suit and you don't wear it every day. But he was going to wear it. I don't have a good one. Good, I've got two not very good suits. But anyway, I don't wear them every day. None of them are Armani. They never, I never tried one on and I'm sure it wouldn't fit me anyway. So anyway, so, so he had this, the, the best, the best kind of stuff and he wore it every day. He had banquets. Actually, it's the, the NIV's translated the original, which says, which says, he feasted sumptuously. He had fantastic dinners every day, probably with loads of guests. Every day, he was like that. And Jesus puts in an amazing deal. I think there's a joke in here. He says he's dressed in fine linen. Well, fine linen was what he wore under his purple. He's talking about his underclothes. And actually, the, the scholar I read was saying that, that the word in Aramaic, the, the word in, in the, if you translate it back to the original, links with the word for Egyptian cotton. And even in those days, Egyptian cotton was the, the best you could have, and it was really good for underwear, you see. So Jesus is saying, not only did he have great Armani suits, but he didn't buy his pants from Matalan. Shall we just, shall we just say that? And that's all, that's all part, of his, part of his thing. He's fabulously rich, and, and there, there he is. Every day he feasted. Every day. So he never kept the Sabbath. He, he didn't give his staff any days off. He had loads of guests who drive into his big gate. The, the gate we read about where Lazarus sat is not just a gate. It's like a big portico, the kind of place you could drive up in your limousine and, you know, put, you know, and get out and so on. That's the picture Jesus is describing. This is the rich man. There's also a poor man 
he's very different, isn't he? He's weak. He's sick, probably, malnourished. He's unable to care for himself. In fact, every day, people in his community bring him to the gate of the rich man because they know there's no health service. They know the only person in their community who could really help this man was the rich guy. So that's where he was. He just lay there. He'd have been glad, it says, to eat a few scraps from the rich man's table. But there wasn't any. Because what went from the rich man's table is implied went to the dogs rather than to the man who had nothing. The dogs are probably dogs. They're probably guard dogs. They're not necessarily the local mongrels. I guess they got used to him being there and uh, they used to come. And they used to actually, they showed more care for him than anyone else did, apart from people who brought him there. They licked his sores. In the ancient world, dog licking your sores was reckoned to be actually therapeutic and helpful. I read somewhere there's a little bit of scientific evidence, but I I wouldn't go any further than that. Please don't do this at home (laughs) because of this. You know what I mean. The dogs actually, that word even the dogs should be, the word is saying uh, on the other hand, it's in the original, it has this idea of on the upside, the dogs came and licked his sores. So here's a man who uh, has got nothing, He's being ignored. The rich man actually uh, treats his guard dogs better than he treats the, the man at his gate. It's interesting, isn't it? How much do we spend on pet food in the West? I'll leave it there. Probably guard dogs, as I said. Where am I? But the poor man has something that the rich man doesn't have. Do you notice what it is? What's the poor man got that the rich man doesn't have in the story? A name. He's called Lazarus. Do you know, in all the stories Jesus told, this is the only story when one of the characters in them is given a name. And his name means something. His name means God helps. That's an interesting, there's a whole lot of stuff in there you could ponder on. But at the very least, Jesus in his story is saying, here's this man who has nothing, but he is trusting God. He is kind of saying, I've got nothing, but I have got God. He's, um, yeah, he's active in his sense of God is for me and I'm putting my life in his hands. Despite his suffering... Despite despite the injustice, despite everything else, he's a person with a name who's looking to God. Now, the rich man has no name. He's just a rich man. Actually, he's in many ways, the way Jesus has told this story, like a kind of living mannequin, isn't he? You know, he's a walking clothes horse for his suits and his underwear and everything else. You see what I mean? He's got no regard for God. He's got no idea about the Sabbath. He, doesn't, he just loves money, and that's it. That's how his life is summed up. He's known for what he has. That's it. Not who he is. And he's in the same space as Lazarus, but just doesn't see him. Money is everything to him, so he's got no care for his neighbor. He just can't see him. And neither, presumably, can the guests who came to his banquets every day. Well, actually, he does see him, as we shall see, but he is actually ignoring him. 
Isn't that what our world is like if we think about it? Isn't this how it works globally? Or locally, for that matter. Can we get like that personally in our lives? Well, Jesus would say to us, we need to be so careful what we love and what we serve. Do I want to be a person with a name known by God? Looking to him, trusting him, my life in his hands? Or do I just want to be that rich person? Or that famous person? Or that great person? Or even that good person? But it's really all about me and I don't care that much. Because I love the wrong things and I'm not loving God. Let's be careful with what we serve and love. Well, let's read the story on. Because it goes on to talk about two destinations. Let's read it, verse 22 to 26. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In hell, or in Hades, that's the place of the dead, as they saw it in those days, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to tip, dip, dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, whilst Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. Besides this, um, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. Well, it all gets a bit grim, doesn't it? Both men die, and Jesus describes in the story the kind of state they're in. Now, Jesus is using the way Jews at the time understood the afterlife to work. As Jesus told this story, all the Jewish people around him, particularly the Pharisees, would recognize it. That was how they, they believed it would be. It's not necessarily a factual account of, you know, this is exactly what happens in the afterlife. We don't exactly know that. Well, there are some big things we do know. We'll come on to that in a minute. But, but all these details are, are, have been taken from the way they saw it at that time. He's tapping into, in, into what they understood, and he's telling them in, 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 in the way they understood it. So from this story, I, we can't take that these, this is the mechanics of the afterlife that we're looking at. He's using this story. It's a bit like, you know, if you, I don't know whether you do this. I, I don't really tell jokes much. But, you know, in our, in our day, people, people t- tell jokes. There's often, or stories, there's often what you call pearly gate stories. You know what I mean? You know, three men get to the pearly gates and Peter does da-da-da-da-da. And, and in, at the time in, in the Middle East, uh, you know, uh, and, and currently there are pearly gate stories. And curiously, the, the, the idea is, you know, there are pearly gates and St. Peter is there. You tell your story. Now, you might tell that story as a Christian if I told you a story about, the, you know, a joke about that. I don't believe that there are pearly gates or that St. Peter welcomes you into heaven because that's not in the Bible. But I might tell the story because we all understand it. You see what I mean? And that's the kind of thing that Jesus is doing here. So that's why there are such weird details. 
These were all things that they believed. The idea of that when you died, you, you went to be at Abraham's side if you were righteous, that you were carried by angels, and that in the place of the dead, if you didn't go to Abraham's side, you went to this place of torment called Hades. The idea that, you know, you could kind of communicate from one side of the afterlife to the other, like, like you know, they, they were doing here, that you could see the other side, as it were. All of the, these little details are familiar to the people who heard it when Jesus told the story. As I say, it's not about how the afterlife works. He's saying something else. He's making some very important points, but he's using the forms that they knew. Why, how do I know that? You might say, well, you're just making that up. Don't you take the Bible seriously? Well, we'd have to take the Bible seriously, but we have to understand it in its context. And we know that, firstly, because... Um, there are Jewish writings when descriptions of the afterlife can be found in exactly this form. Uh, and, and Josephus also, in his writings, explains the, 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 this form of understanding the afterlife. So it's, it's out there. We know it. Secondly, I say this because the details of the story are out of phase with other parts of the Bible. And when, in other parts of the Bible, when it does talk about the afterlife... The details here are, 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 are contradicted. So, for example, there's no sense of in the afterlife where the Bible talks about it that you'll be kind of in Abraham's uh, close presence, as it were. Do you see what I mean? Or that angels carry you there. None of that is in there, but it's in the story, not in the rest of the Bible. But let's get back to it. What is Jesus saying here? What is the main point that he's making? Well, it's in the dialogue. And the dialogue is very interesting. Lazarus says nothing, but the rich man has quite a lot to say. He starts off by playing the Jewish card, as it were. He says, Father Abraham, I'm a good Jew, he says. Surely, I'm, you know, I'm one of your you know, Jewish children. There must be some kind of mistake here. Or, or at least, you know, I, I deserve some help. And then he does an, a, an extraordinary thing. He asks him to send Lazarus. He says, you know, that man, would you mind getting Lazarus to serve me? You know, would you mind you know, making him come down here and, and, and doing me a big favor? Which is interesting because it shows us that although he had not responded to Lazarus, he knew exactly who he was and that he was there outside his gate all along. Wow, that's interesting, isn't it? This man has got no shame. He expects Lazarus to come and serve him. And, and Abraham's reply is also interesting. Abraham says, son, he says. Or actually in the reading, he says, my dear son. He's saying, yes, you are a true Jew. That's fine. Like the Pharisees were. But it's not enough. I'm sorry. And it's too late. The rich man hasn't changed. He's just the same as he was before. And there's actually a hint here, but it's only a small hint, that, that Lazarus, who still knows God's help in this story, would have come if he'd been able to. Why in the story does Jesus have Abraham saying, if someone wants to come over, they can't because of the chasm? The only other person there in the story is Lazarus. Who on earth would want to go from, from, from the presence of, you know, in the afterlife to, from Abraham to come and help this guy? It would only be Lazarus, and it's almost like he's hinting that Lazarus's trust in God, his concern for others, is, 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 is there in, in, in the afterlife. 
but he can't come because there's a chasm. Uh, you, you can't go from one place to the other in the story here. Even that would be too late. Verse 25 makes it very clear. Son, remember that in your lifetime you received good things. It makes it clear that what's happening after death is dependent upon what happened in your lifetime. See, the rich man thought he was religious enough. He was a son of Abraham. He had great wealth. He probably thought that was a blessing from God. But the thing is, he loved money and he served it as his master. God was out of his life completely. He's not being punished for being rich. Let's get that very clear. He can't be because Abraham's there. And Abraham was one of the richest men that ever lived. So there's nothing wrong with being rich. Being rich doesn't keep you from God's presence in the afterlife within this story. No, that's not the point. But the rich man in the story thought money served him, but he was wrong. His life was given to money. He received good things, Abraham tells him. You received good things. He should have, like we saw in the previous story, treated what he'd been given by God as a manager, not an owner. If the rich man had loved God, if he'd loved God, not money, then he would have loved his neighbor, Lazarus. He wouldn't have ignored him as he went in and out of his house several times a day. Jesus is saying the way we live reveals our heart loyalties. James chapter 2 verse 17 says, You say you have faith. If it's not shown in your actions, the faith you say you have is not faith. It's dead. James 2 could be a commentary on this. That's the rich man. Lazarus, on the other hand, he trusted God. He had security in God, although he had nothing else. And now, in the afterlife, he is secure with God. The hope that Lazarus had in his life brought him to a life with God in, the, in eternity. And in the same way, the absence of that relationship with God for the rich man has led to the rich man being separated from God forever. That's Jesus' big point. There is life beyond death. That's what Jesus is saying. And our lives here have consequences for eternity. Jesus is saying there are two destinations. Well, they look like we don't know. This is just how they thought it was then. But there's a possibility that we can be with God or we can be separated from God forever. And what we decide and do in our lives here and now matters. Our response to God matters. Our relationship with God matters because the consequences are eternal. It is a picture, sure, it's a picture. I'm sure this isn't how the details of the afterlife are. We'll just have to wait and see till we get there. But although it's a picture, behind the picture is something that's real, if you like. But maybe different. I mean, I'm a real person. You're a real person. You could have a, you know, you could describe me in a picture. We have lots of fun whenever we try and do pictionary because I'm rubbish at drawing, and you know the rest of the family find that hilarious. Uh, I'm sorry to say, but it's true. So I could try, I could try, try and draw a picture of you, 
which would look something a little bit better than a four-year-old child could draw. Or you could have a very infantile drawing, and, and you could say, that's a picture. Or you could have a, a caricature of me, or you could have a, another kind of... Ask Picasso to do a picture of me, and it would look a bit different, I suspect, if, he, if that were possible. It would be worth a lot more, but there we are. And, and then, so on. And they're all pictures, but there's still a real me. The things they're pictures of... Are, are real. And, and that's where we are here in this story. There is life beyond death, and our life here and now matters. Think back to the story of the steward we, or the manager we saw last time. He uses money for others, for eternal purposes. There was something more important than how much money he had and using it for himself. That's how he lived. And Jesus has told them that it's either money or God at the center of our lives. It's either here if you like, uh, here and now, or, or it's uh, the future. It's either now or it's then. If it's money, it won't be God. We try and have both. Money will win. There's no contest. That's what Jesus says. We will end up eternally empty and lost. But there's a bit more. Let's read on to the end of the story. Verse 27. He answered, then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. And he said to them, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. So the rich man now asks Abraham about his family. He's got some brothers. And he's still expecting Lazarus to go and do something for him. This time, there's this argument about, could Lazarus not go back and warn my brothers so that this doesn't happen to them? Uh, And what will listen to them? And the answer comes back, no, actually, they have enough. There's enough information already there, says uh, in the story, says Abraham in the story. If they, if, they, if they were willing to believe, they would believe what information is already there. The conclusion is that it's about the willingness to hear, to really listen, to really be open to what God says. If you won't listen to what's there, says Jesus in this story, then no amount of extras are going to change you because it's all about our heart, whether we're willing to respond to God's truth. As much as we have. Even if it's just to take a step forward and say, Lord, I don't fully understand it, but I do want to know some more. You can do that in a prayer. You could do that by getting involved in Alpha, by having a conversation or something like that. And as we respond to what we have, he takes us a bit further. Because in the story, Jesus said it's actually not spectacular signs or extra special irrefutable evidence that makes the difference. It's about our heart willingness to hear and respond to God's word. Hearing the word with a heart that's open to God shapes a response and takes us forward. And that's actually very good news for the Pharisees because he's actually reaching out to the Pharisees again and saying, Pharisees, listen to Moses and the prophets. You've got enough. Take it seriously. Respond to that. So Jesus' story takes us to the very heart of what it means to know God in our life. 
Like he said to the Pharisees earlier on in the passage in the verses I didn't read, he's not superseding the basic truth of the Old Testament and the, you know, the law as they had it. He's saying that the, what, what, the, what they believed was right. We need to love the Lord our God. That's what the Old Testament said. Love him above everything else. Have no competitors. That's Jesus saying, love God, not money. And then, love our neighbor as ourselves. Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, that's, that's it. But if you're loving money, you can't love God and you can't love your neighbor either and Jesus in his life and in his death he comes into the world to lead us into that way of loving God of loving our neighbor of knowing God uh, as our father and as our friend so that we get that life we have now will go on into eternity Jesus said on one occasion that God loved the world so much he gave his son Jesus words He said that if we trust ourselves to him and what he's done, if we respond to his great love in giving himself so that we could know God and be forgiven and begin a new life with God, if we uh, give our love to him more than money, more than anything, well, that's for now. And as we live like that with God, with his presence, with his power in our lives, we live like that now we realize that everything we do will connect with the then the future because there's a lot more to come yeah we don't we forget that in our comfortable culture but there's more to life than the few years we have here and we can know god in well just amazing ways what's coming if we trust ourselves to him But let's make sure we're following Jesus, that we're loving God first, now, as we hear his word. Let's uh, respond as we pray and sing. Let me pray as the band come up. Father in heaven, we want to thank you that uh, when we read your word and when we hear what Jesus said, he he doesn't pull up punches. It's a very kind of powerful lord we pray that we will um respond to what you say through your word we thank you for this story we thank you for the warning of it we pray lord that we may be those who love you who know what it is to to because of jesus have you at the center of our lives and to live that life that you intend for us now and then on into eternity with you Thank you, Lord, for all that you've done for us. Enable us, we pray, just to understand and respond, to know that there's enough for us to come to you and say, Lord, I want to love you. I want to continue with you. I want to begin with you. Lord, move us forward in our following Jesus, we pray. For his sake, amen.